Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is the podcast that provides empowerment, inspiration, and education for older adults to thrive in their golden years. It's produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible through the generous support from South Coast Health, Cochlear, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Patricia Raskin. Today we're talking about longevity with my guest, Dr. Michael Royzen, MD, Emeritus Chief Wellness Officer at the Cleveland Clinic, Professor at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western University, and author of four number one New York Times bestselling books, including Real Age, You Staying You, and Age Proof. Dr. Royzen has been recognized with an L and Emmy Awards and received the Paul G. Rogers Award from the National Library of Science for Best Medical Communicator. Dr. Royzen's new book says it all and is the topic of today's conversation, The Great Age Reboot, Cracking the Longevity Code for Younger Tomorrow. Dr. Royzen, it's wonderful to have you on. It's great to be here, Patricia. Your new book explores prevention, treatment, and technology that will reshape how we think about old age. Over the next decade, people are living to 100, 120, even 130. That's going to be increasingly more common. Why is this so? Well, first of all, they're going to be younger than they are now, most likely with an 80% probability. That's because there are 14 areas of aging mechanism research. Things such as gene editing or stem cells without immunogenicity or in a whole raft of different areas that have all shown in at least two animal species that they can reboot age, meaning you can get a little younger. So whereas 60 is now the new 40, we expect 90 to be the new 40. And, and, but it's not the same 90, as I said before, you're gonna feel younger. So human capital will increase, which is a great thing for the individual and for society. What does that include? Re-engineering aging cells, DNA manipulation, stem cells, immunotherapy? Well, we don't know which of these will be the breakthrough, but we're seeing breakthroughs in many of these now. Let me give you a couple of examples. So we know that about when you're at a very severe case of heart failure, your ejection fraction is 10 to 15%, you may have four to six months to live as it's going down. And in uh, 12 people in Australia, they had this problem. And they found that these 12 were producing a amyloid protein in their liver, which got to their heart and caused it to dysfunction called amyloid heart failure. They then engineered the Casper uh, CRISP-9 system to knock out that gene that was producing. It's the same protein. It was just folded a little differently. They knocked out that one abnormality. And guess what? Now they have an 18-year life expectancy for, I believe it is, seven of the 12 have totally got a ejection fraction that has gone from 10 to 15% to 35 to 40%. So instead of living life essentially in a chair or bed, 
they're now out and doing all the normal things and they have a life expectancy of 18 years. Let me give you another example. Sickle cell disease, which is an abnormal production of hemoglobin S, same production. And what happened? 75 out of 75 so far who've received the treatment um, have are now feeling better and not having the problem at all. So this is a, I mean, they're, they're essentially um, cured. What we're seeing is a change in these chronic diseases, but we're also getting to the basic mechanism of aging. And so maybe, as in animal models, we'll be able to not only cure chronic disease, and let me say that word again, cure, it's not living with, not living better with like we've had so far, but cure and at the same time be feel and act younger, have the energy of a 40-year-old again. This podcast is made possible in part by South Coast Health, a not-for-profit community-based health system that provides a clinical and caring experience to every life we touch in southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island. To learn more, visit southcoast.org. So what you just described, what was that treatment specifically? Well, it was gene editing. Now, when we say gene editing, you do a lot of self-editing as well, but that was gene editing. There, there are other, um, if you will, processes. So in type 1 diabetes in Boston, they've now, people who have type 1 diabetes have cells that aren't functioning at all. That is their uh, pancreatic beta islet cells or one of the cells in the pancreas. They then gave stem cells without immunogenicity. They knocked out the immune process, gave these to six people with type 1 diabetes, and now all six are living without needing exogenous insulin. Again, another, if you will, technique. So that's stem cells. The other one was gene engineering. We can go and talk about each of these um, and some of the most remarkable. So a, a, if you will, therapeutic plasma exchange where they take away your plasma. Um, they clean it up essentially. You donate blood. Um, you get your red cells back. They give you saline and albumin in place of your plasma. And guess what? After nine treatments of that, one a week for five weeks, and then one a week per month for the next four months, after 15 months in the AMBAR, A-M-B-A-R, you can look it up on Google studies, these patients are all recovering from mild Alzheimer's disease and getting their mental functioning back. Really remarkable. So they've now started a second phase three study with this. That's a different technique. Therapeutic plasma exchange, we think, is getting rid of old cells or misfolded proteins that signal badness. And, and so there are each of these 14 areas is advancing at really exponential speed. Um, we're even transforming, and I, I, 
I hate to keep giving you more information, but we're transforming white fat, which causes inflammation, into brown fat, which uses metabolic rate, increases metabolic rate. And in three animal models, they've gotten rid of obesity. This almost sounds like something out of Star Trek, but in 2022. Now to expand on what you just said, you write that by the year 2050, body parts will be replaced using stem cells and 3D printing, and that most cancers will be cured. Please elaborate on that one. Well, again, what we're seeing is exponential research. And so all of these are with a probability, since they're 14 shots on goal, as we say, since you're from Rhode Island, I can use the shots on goal analogy of hockey. Since they're 14 shots on goal, with an 80% probability, one of these will hit. But let me give you some of the massive progress in cancer. In 2001, the chances of metastatic spread to the rest of the body, malignant melanoma, patient living five years was under 3%. But a guy named Jim Allison persisted with his um, immunotherapy progress with it. And um, even though he was told to stop by the uh, data monitoring committee, because at one year, it was 12.6% for chemotherapy alone, 12.3%, I think, survival rate for immunotherapy plus chemotherapy. But at three years, it was something like 11.3% survival for immunotherapy, percent or so for chemotherapy alone, and immunotherapy and the checkpoint therapies were born. It was his persistence. He got a Nobel Prize for it. We shouldn't feel bad for him. But for the rest of us, metastatic malignant melanoma has now over a 60% five-year cure rate. Not living with it, not survival, as 3% in five years in prior to that immunotherapy, but with two checkpoint inhibitors, it's over 60%. In fact, he thinks, I think, that it's going to be over 80% survival. And now let me go and give you another. We're now engineering into T cells. We engineer into the T cell in culture specific targets that that T cell, the T cells are part of the immune system. They're called t killer T cells because they kill cells. They kill other cells. We're engineering some of the specific proteins on cancers and pancreatic cancer for the first time ever is thought to be curable by this technique. So we're seeing these rapid changes in even cancer. And so we think it's going to be um, curable. Let me give you one more example. And I realize I'm going on with other examples, but they're so remarkable. I can't help. One of the things that inhibits or that causes um, cardiovascular disease as we get older is in fact the um, process of too high a lousy LDL cholesterol. Well, part of that is because the PCSK9 protein inhibits your normal body from getting rid of that LDL cholesterol. So now they've engineered a target to take out that gene that produces that protein. And guess what? 
In animal models, it reduces the risk of heart disease by between 50 and 90%. And the first patients, I think there are 40 patients now in New Zealand who are getting this treatment and maybe will be eradicating vascular disease, a large cause of stroke and a large cause of heart disease over the next few years. So these are rapidly changing, which is going to make it so that you get to function younger for longer. This podcast is made possible in part by Cochlear, the global leader in implantable hearing solutions, helping people of all ages to hear and connect with life's opportunities. To learn more, visit www.cochlear.us slash aging. You also write that we have to be our own genetic engineers, that we have to adopt a healthy lifestyle so that our body can repair itself. What are some of the things that we can do to really make that happen while we wait for this amazing technology to become a reality? Well, until the amazing technology takes over, it's very important for you to protect yourself from diseases that cause what we call structural change that we can't recover from. So for example, you don't want your brain to deteriorate to the point where you can't function. Now, everyone knows that exercise is good for the brain, but we've learned why you are a genetic engineer. When you stress a muscle, whether it's by walking fast or cardiovascular exercise or resistance training, um, you change a gene, you turn on a gene in that muscle that produces a small protein. That's all genes do is produce proteins. That small protein is called irisin. It gets across your blood-brain barrier and turns on another gene, brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor producing, and that makes your memory center bigger and nurtures connections. It's like miracle growth for your connections in your memory center of your brain. So what do you do by exercise? You're self-genetic engineering to a bigger, more powerful brain that is likely to not have dementia as you get older. That's just one of the things. So the five big ones are, in fact, stress management. And a lot of that is posse and purpose. That is the most important things in stress management is having friends that you can rely on and be vulnerable to and having a purpose in life, like your purpose in bringing wellness to the, to the masses. And mine is the same, if you will. The second is um, most important is food choices, portion size, and time of eating. The third is physical activity, and there are four components of it as we've started to talk about. The fourth um, is avoiding unforced errors, such as um, texting while driving or smoking or vaping. And the fifth, um, one always debates the fifth, but it's probably managing chronic disease and getting enough sleep. So I'm going to put those two together because they're part of it. So you want to optimize and prevent the chronic disease by getting tests, by relying on your doctor, getting second opinions, those type of things so that you don't get structural change that is irreversible. Let's talk more about the antidote to stress. 
which you say is resilience. The body responds to stress that releases these hormones and chemicals that damage our brains and the rest of our bodies. How does resilience, the attitude that you talk about, help us cope with stress, especially in a world of so much uncertainty and anxiety? Well, society will change. There will be people who cut you off. There will be things that stress you. But your response to stress is up to you. Your response to those events is yours. Most important thing, as I said, and women do it much better than men, is be friend and have friends and talk to them. So way back when, um, at the Whitehall studies in Great Britain and the Alameda studies in the U.S. showed that the most important thing in stress management, all kinds of stress, was having friends, six friends a month, that you talk to, befriend, and are vulnerable to. One of them can be your spouse, but doesn't have to be. But it is those connections are really important for humans. That's one of the things we've been missing with, obviously, the COVID-19 process and kids and young adults missing it, maybe more than even our, us older people who learned to talk on the phone beforehand. Um, the second thing, well, we'll get to that in a second. The second thing is having a purpose in life. That is, why are you living? Is it for your grandkids? Is it for your kids? Is it for, as with you and me, at least part of our purpose, and yeah, it is family, but it's also being able to help others stay healthy and stay ready for this reboot and educated about the planning needed for it. Because if we're going to live a lot longer, we're not gonna to wanna to retire if we're going to live to 115, we don't want 50 years of retirement after age 65. So we've got to figure out how are we going to retrain ourselves? How are we going to gather enough finances to be able to do that? And that's part of stress. Stress management, finance, financial problems are the largest cause of stress. And you can't meditate those away. You can meditate relationships. You can meditate or do guided imagery or progressive muscle relaxation or deep breathing, all 12 techniques for managing stress that is relationship stress. Financial stress you have to deal with and, and get a plan to deal with. But again, it is posse and purpose that are the most important at letting us live longer and healthier. This podcast is made possible in part by Greenwood Credit Union which offers locally-based full-service banking where our focus is on you. To learn more, visit greenwoodcu.org. There seems to be a stigma in our society about aging. You write that in the future, being older will no longer be a societal liability. But how will this be accomplished, especially when many of us today who are older are collecting Social Security and Medicare? Yes, so... It will, we expect that human capital will increase because of longevity. In other words, if you work from, if you, if you normally worked from 25 to 65, 40 years, and now you work to 85 because you're going to live to 115, that's increasing your productivity 50% 
in increasing human capital 50%, but it's actually probably more than that because you're more productive when you have all the connections and all, and all the knowledge that you've gathered. But people will, some people will want to go into a different job, will want to have a different passion, will want, and some people will do volunteering work. But Australia, Singapore, and I'm going to get into a little bit of the financial part of it now, but I want to come back and say the whole thing is that if the majority of us are over 65 or a large fraction of us are over 65, then we're going to be marketed to, we're going to be respected, especially if we're working as many of us are. Um, so, say it again. Oh, it's going to change. That that respect will change. I mean, if you if you will, people over 65 now buy more beer than people under 35. But have you ever seen a beer ad for people over 65? So um, we're going to, it's going to be a change in that way. But let me talk to you about Australia, Singapore, and Denmark. They have a forced savings rate. 3% of income goes into a 4% per year um, account, not government run, private run. Um, And so if you did that on a $15 per hour income at age 25 and waited age 65, you'd have about $250,000. But if you go to age 95, it's 1.4 million in today's money. That's how what, um, if you will, compounding at 4% does. And if you work for someone who matches your funds, it'd be 2.8 million at age 95. So if we did that law, and by the way, the House of Representatives, I have no idea why, passed it bipartisan, like 492 to 6 or something uh, recently, that very law that Australia, Singapore, and Denmark have. If we did that, it would do a great deal to decrease wealth inequality. By the way, I don't know where it is quite in the Senate, but I was told the Senate is marching through to to pass that as well. So maybe uh, um, soon we'll have that in the United States and be able to say we're dealing away with that wealth inequality. Furthermore, if we're going to work to age 85, you're going to increase gradually, not for those who are already there and not for those who are nearby, but you'll gradually increase the Medicare and Social Security eligibility ages. And so the worry about those trust funds running out of money by 2033 um, probably won't occur. They will get, um, as we work longer, and especially as the people over 65 work longer, and if we adjust that um, age. Now, that's always a political battle, um, but if the money is there, as Winston, I think Winston Churchill said it, Americans um, always do the right thing after they've delayed or, or tried everything else. So we'll eventually get there. You paint a very positive picture of the future with technology, with self-care, and with finances. You are 75, and your co-author, Al Ratner, former CEO and chairman of Forest City Enterprises, is 93. What do you both do to stay young and healthy? Well, there are about 180 choices you can make. We actually have it on our, uh, at, at, if you go to greatagereboot.com, 
Um, we actually have, and I'm going to tell you, you're the first person I've ever told that to uh, on a podcast. We actually have an app um, that helps you, guide you for all 180 things. But I do almost all of them. Um, yes, I don't get enough sleep, and I probably have more stress than I uh, should, but I manage it pretty well, and I do have a posse and purpose. So, um, yes, I do all four components of physical activity. Yes, I don't, except for four days a year, I eat very healthily. Um, I only eat during an eight-hour window, and four days, a, five days a month, I uh, decrease to 750 calories um, that are largely uh, low-protein, low-carbohydrate, high-fat for those that period of time. Um, but... The point is, um, and so stress management I do, physical activity, all four components in the minimum amount for maximum gain. Um, I do stress management. I avoid unforced errors, except on those four days, if you will, of, uh, and those are unforced in food and um, things. I try and get the right amount of sleep. Um, and probably the best thing in life I did uh, for stress and for everything else was uh, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, pick a great partner in life, a great wife, um, who uh, keeps me uh, young and uh, vibrant, if you will. Closing thoughts. If you can leave people with one thing, what would you say? You are a genetic engineer for yourself. So you have to change your attitude when you start to do healthy behaviors, you change which of your genes are on or not, and you control over 80% of whether a gene is producing proteins or not. And that's the key to having great brain function and to staying young for the rest of your life. You can't care for others until you care for yourself. So even if you're a caregiver, you've got to make time to care for yourself and change your attitude, you are a genetic engineer for you. Dr. Roizen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible in part by South Coast Health, Cochlear, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. For more information, please visit ripbs.org slash positive aging.